Creative Connectors, a podcast for curious minds. My name's Vicky Keeler, and I'll be chatting to the makers and creators who aim to connect and inspire through the platform of festivals. We'll be delving into how they show up in the world, why they do what they do, their journey, inspiration, and everything in between. So sit back and enjoy the chat, because who knows where these conversations are going to go. And if this is your kind of podcast, please subscribe, follow, share with friends, and get involved and give some feedback. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Justin Rudge. He is the program director of Port Ferry Folk Festival. So thanks for coming on and having a chat. You're so welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Amazing. Well, I know that you have a long history of music and festivaling and events behind you. So maybe we could start off with where it all began and, yeah, I guess where this kind of love and passion and connection to events came from and started. Sure. So I was one of those people who was a musician first. So I played in loud rock and roll bands when I was a kid through high school and kind of did that thing. I think I was thinking about this yesterday, Vicky, and my first gig was at a place called the Richmond Tavern, uh, which is opposite Bakehouse Studios in Richmond when I was definitely not overage. Um, and it is now a seafood restaurant, sadly, like, right. like many other things. But, yeah, so that's probably where it started <laughs> at the age of 16 where, you know, you, you fell into one of those, you know, come and do a gig but you've got to sell 100 tickets and it was all a scam and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and from there, yeah, played in bands, was always kind of the main organiser, driver, manager, even though we didn't even know what that meant. Back in back in that age bracket, I guess, and was just just the person that organised shows, put together bills, all that kind of stuff. And then from there, my local pub, the world famous Standard Hotel in Fitzroy, the owner there said, "Oh, Justin, you know heaps about bands. We want to have bands. Come and put bands on." So that was how that started. And then other friends' bands said, "Well, you're really good at organising shows for your band. Can you come and organise shows for our band?" <laughs> And, and away we went, you know, more more venues, more bands. Uh, and then I developed a concept for a, a council festival called the Leaps and Bounds Music Festival uh, for the city of Yarra. And that was my first kind of go at a festival festival, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did that for, goodness, five, six years, I guess. Then moved from there to Echuca Winter Blues, um, which is a a, a big festival, 20,000 people, free entry last week, end of July. And then last year moved to the Port Ferry Folk Festival. So that's that's it in a, a nutshell. In a nutshell. And so when you took on that role and put in the proposal to do your first festival, what challenges did you face? Did you have anybody to learn from? Were you kind of flying blind? Yeah, how did that pan out for you? Uh, I had heaps of help. So I I discovered there was an opportunity for some funding via the city of Yarra to develop this concept. Um, I then worked it up in collaboration with Mary Michalakos, who's a, an industry legend in Melbourne, and we were guided through the council process as much as anything by another industry legend, John Perring, who's part of the consortium that owns the Tote and Bar Open and, and those venues. And... Yeah, and I don't know how we did it. 
the first year. I really don't like what we <laughs> delivered. What we delivered for the amount of money that was supplied was just crazy. Um, but yeah, we loved it, and you know, it was a huge amount of work. But we developed it into something that still lives on to this day and is in you know various people's hands. And you know, it's wonderful to see it emerge every year. They had a really great digital digital festival in 2020 as well and, and really moved well into that space. Mm, amazing. Yeah, it must be so lovely to, you know, see something that you have started continue uh, to this day, even in different formats, you know, after the the wild year that we've just had. Um, what is it about festivals that you love so much? The unique experience that a festival can bring that no other musical event can i think I, again i was thinking about this yesterday vicky in the park and um remembering my, what i would consider to be my first musical festival as a punter which was the world famous meredith music festival i want to say 1994 i want to say i was 16 um and me and a few mates grabbed some tents and away we went and you know i've i've been regularly attending that event for well, since its existence, I guess, that was about year three or year four that I went for the first time. And watching it evolve over the years has just been incredible. And and that festival, I guess, in particular, has just had so many landmark moments within it um, that, you know, we as festival directors, programmers, curators, whatever, we can we can try and funnel the energy and funnel the magic and then sometimes – you know, there's a lightning storm during the Dirty Three or the power goes out or, you know. It's always the weather. That you just, <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know. Sometimes in, not, in southern, but a lot in, of the time. <laughs> no, 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 for sure. Southern, southern Victoria, um, you know, or Australia in general, the weather is an impact. But then, you know, I think about, um, you know, Golden Plains and the concept of the golden boot where, you know, the audience just all decided to take a shoe off and wait, raise it in the air when, the, when they loved the artist that was playing and you know you certainly can't create those kind of things and I, I, mm. I just think that it, it provides artists with a, a really different performance outlet as well um, obviously every festival is different but you don't necessarily know if you're playing to your fans or not or people know who you are or people like you or don't like you and so I think for performers it, it provides a really um, a really kind of unique challenge and each festival is different so you you know you might go to one and be a hit and then the next one doesn't work quite so well and yeah it's certainly a great way of exposing art I guess mm. more so than as much as I love going to the tote or the corner or the forum or the tennis center depending on the show um you know it's a very different musical experience I think at a festival compared to buying a ticket to see one or two artists that you desperately want to see. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty wonderful experience. Mm, they're great platforms as well for experimentation for artists. You know, like you say, something may work one place and you might have to, you know, rethink it for other places or shift things up or maybe you just want to be a bit daring and try something, put something out there that you haven't done before and, and they offer the perfect place for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a live and die by the sword event, a music festival, I think, or, or, or an arts festival at all. And, you know, you can either embrace that. And as you say, you know, push, push yourself to, 
challenge the audience, challenge yourself to a new experience and, you know, some days you'll win and some days you'll lose. It's it's kind of like the footy, right? Um, <laughs> you know. Sorry, that that will hopefully be my only sport analogy for this podcast. <laughs> I apologise. But now All that good. I've said that, I'll do it at least three more times. All good. You can drop in footy references wherever you wish. Um, I guess talking of big crowds, which we know the football does like to draw in, what's been, I guess, yeah, your biggest biggest festival, biggest event, biggest achievement when you look back over your time on events and festivals? I think biggest is hard to quantify and I don't think I'd necessarily use the audience as a, as a quantifier for that. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes the best events or the best parts of an event are, are sometimes not well attended at all. Um, and sometimes that's what makes the moment special. Um, you know, going back as a performer, I um, I played a show in Germany that was broadcast to 1.5 million people on television um, in front of a crowd of 5,000, and that scared the living bejesus out of me. Like yeah, I've bad. never been so <laughs> frightened in my life, and I, I traditionally didn't have too much stage fright. So certainly as a performer, that was a moment. Um, you know, in terms of, of curating events, um, you know, we've done the, – the Leaps and Bounds one was so local and so within the community that there were just – there were special events. You know, that festival ran within venues over the over 10 to 12 to 14 days. I can't remember now. It was too long ago and I've blocked <laughs> most of it out. But we did – you know, we did some amazingly special events, you know, recording a live-to-air broadcast – uh, for PBS FM, for David Hurd's Acid Country show at the Labor in Vain, where, you know, it was pre-COVID, that's for sure. There would have been 500 people in that joint that really should have only had 100 in there. And, you know, yeah, that was – they were always a special events and that was the first one and that they still do that every year to this day and I think that's now almost 10 years. So, you know, that those kind of little things are special. I remember, you know, seeing Marlon Williams – I book, one of Marlon Williams' first shows when he had relocated to Australia or, or, or early on in his career. And, you know, he was so amazing playing to seven people at the Standard Hotel on a Wednesday night that it was it was clear, you know, where he was going. So certainly, you know, there have been lots of those um, kind of things, I guess, that have felt really special when you've seen talent that has just gone on to bigger and better things, you know, Cash Savage again playing, you know, playing with a seven-piece band and less than seven people in the audience um, and her still delivering the kind of performance we see from her today was just incredible. And then, you know, some of the other community, I guess, community-minded things that that, particularly that festival has done, um, we curated some shows uh, at the Spiegel Tent next to the Tote um, for citizens or residents of care homes um, yeah, nice. So they could go to a venue and experience live music in a way that they don't have access to, and that was just an incredibly special experience. We had Michelangelo and Rob Snarsky come down and play some songs for these these residents, who then, you know, someone got up and danced, and you know, I hadn't considered what we would do with all the wheelchairs and, you know, we learn a lot, I promise you. And I, I, I delivered more scones to people than I ever have in my life. But, 
you know, it was it was a magical experience, a magical experience. And then I guess, you know, if you want to talk about size and scale, I remember the um, not long after I got the the role at a Chuka Winner Blues, I went up as part of a Music Victoria delegation to the regions or whatever, and um, I'd obviously met the people I was working for, but I hadn't met the mayor or anything yet, and all of a sudden they dumped me on on the wharf and said, oh, Justin, you know, we'd like to introduce you to the local community. The mayor's going to say a few words. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And so, you know, mayor gets up and says, all right, you know, this is Justin. He's our new program director or whatever the, the role was then and um, and said, oh, and Justin, just so you know, this event's worth $9 million to the local town and you're responsible for it. So we really wish you all the best. And I was just like, <laughs> whoa. Um. A fair bit of responsibility compared uh, to bit. the wage. I promise. <laughs> I promise you. I promise you. So, yeah, and and look, you know, similarly, obviously, um, uh, you know, I started at Port Ferry in June 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I haven't put on a festival yet, but I've put on some small events and and engaged with the local community a bit, and I can see that you know, similarly, it's a it's a really important event for the town and and the area and the region and the state. So. Um, yeah, there's some responsibilities with these these jobs, I promise you. Mm, definitely. And how, you know, with that responsibility, how do you process that? How do you sit with it? Is it something that you have found ways and means to help you over time? Is it something that you struggled with maybe um, like back in the day? So what's been your kind of journey with, yeah, taking on more responsibility? It's a challenge. It's <laughs> it really is. Um, you try not to think about it too much, as most as as best you can. To be honest, I don't like focusing on how much responsibility you have. Um, you just try and get on with it, acknowledge it, and 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 move through as best you can. Certainly. You know, my career as a managing artist, you know, I felt that a massive weight. Um, and similarly, you know, with festivals where you are responsible for people being able to pay their mortgages and send their kids to school and put food on the table. And, you know, the weight of that through the pandemic and having to postpone Port Ferry for the first time in 45 years. And we, we postponed the Echuca Winter Blues event as well. And, you know, particularly... I guess for those kind of events where, you know, they're a flagship event for the town, they're the biggest income generating events for, for everyone from the baker to the plumber to the, well, maybe not the plumber, uh, hopefully not the plumber, hopefully the toilets are working. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's a massive responsibility. And yet I think, and I think that one of the challenges about any role in the arts is that, the outside world just sees you as this person that gets to do fun and all you do is listen to music and choose mm. bands and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's just not true. Um, <laughs> the, amount of t- the amount of time spent, you know, obviously communicating emails, all that kind of stuff, but the spreadsheets and the database software and, oh, it's, it's a killer. It's yeah, a killer. you definitely got to um, be process-driven. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely have to be process and, and detail-driven. Um, yeah, I think, I think largely you just have to recognize that you can only do your best. And if your best isn't good enough, then that is okay. Um, but your best is your best. So yeah, 
you know, not everything's perfect and, and we, we all do our best. Mm. Have you ever had any kind of like times where you've gone, I might throw the towel in or this is the end or this is too hard? Like what have been those big challenges that you faced along the way? I'm sure COVID has been one of them. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about COVID. I've had an interesting COVID experience, I guess, where potentially I have been more glass half full about life and about my work than I have been. I've clearly been very fortunate to, to gain an incredible role in the middle of a pandemic. So I haven't, I mean, there's been obviously times through COVID that are just disastrous, but personally I've navigated my way through that. Okay. Um, in terms of like previous, oh my God, what have I done moments? There's too many to count. <laughs> like, and it's just the nature of the business is that it's, yeah, it's a ridiculous gamble. And I think one of the things that we're learning through COVID now is that perhaps the wider world understands how much of a gamble our industry is. Um, we were talk- we were talking at Port Ferry and talking about, oh, well, you know, pandemic this, pandemic that. It's like, well, bushfire this, bushfire that, yep. flood this, flood that. Like there's a lot of things that can send your event over the edge that you have no control over whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you, you make the best plans you possibly can and you try and work your way around that. In terms of oh shit moments, like there's just been, yeah, there's been some rippers. There's been some rippers. I certainly, one of the ones that I look back at kind of fondly now was in 20 you know the most probably and the most recent one in 2019 a chicken winner blues they've got this beautiful old historic wharf and the council have done it up and we put a massive marquee on it and i think it's rated for like seven to eight hundred people or whatever and all of those people were there on saturday night at 8 30 waiting for the feature artist headline band to start and There've been issues with the generator because, of course, there's no power to the site. So there's a generator, even though you can kick a football to the next pub, and it's like, can we just not run an extension leak? But anyway, won't go there. Um, yeah, so there's all of 800 people, probably more, packed in. Band walks on, strums one chord, power goes out. Oh, and I'm standing, ne- I'm standing next to the mixing desk at the back of the room, and the mixer literally just jumps over the crowd through. 150 meters of packed in tight people on his way to the generators to discover that the security guard at the front of stage had just put his arm on the fuse box and (laughs) flipped the safety switch. (laughs) But I've got to tell you, like, and it was fixed, like in three and a half minutes, the lights were back on generator was okay. And, and, you know, away they went, it was all cool. But man, those three and a half minutes were pretty scary, (laughs) pretty scary. Probably felt um, like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> it was long. It was really long. It was really long. Um, yeah. So, yeah, those, you know, and I, I guess for every one of those moments, you just learn and you make a note and you go, right, we're going to put a screen in front of those safety switches next year, aren't we, folks? And, <laughs> you know, let's not just leave them, you know, because anybody could have walked past on their way to the toilets and just turned the power off. But, yeah, right. Eh, that's probably not great, folks. Um, so, yeah, you know, you have those moments every, 
every event and you know i'm i'm a pretty mad note taker um and that one got a pretty big note um <laughs> but yeah I, I don't think you know you you made reference to throwing in the towel or whatever i can't say i haven't come close but i don't think it's been a specific trigger point certainly certainly there have been times where my workload has been too great and and that has resulted in near on breakdown type scenarios and I now work really hard to manage that as much as my workload isn't any lower um, I manage those expectations of myself a little better mm. um, than I have done previously I guess but yeah I, I don't think yeah I, I haven't I haven't poured a beer or made a coffee in a while so that's a good thing Nice. Because nice. I'm pretty crap. I'm pretty crap at both of those things. <laughs> I can't make coffee because I don't drink it, and people always hate me in office environments or at home if they <laughs> want a coffee. But I'm with you on that front. Um, I know that you have kind of gone around the world. Is there anything that you've kind of witnessed or seen in terms of trends or differences between festivals and events and the way in which people experience it around the world? For sure. Festival events around the world are just, they're so awesomely different at times and then not at all. Um, when I moved to Madrid in July, 2019, we, we were going to a festival every weekend and there was such a cultural difference in the way they were engaged with it at an audience level um, that I just found really inspiring. Like, mm. when, you know, to, to hark back to the last one, I guess one of the reasons, one of the drivers behind moving or relocating overseas for a couple of years was to reinvigorate myself. I was a little maybe jaded, tired, I don't know, but... I've been working in Australia and in the Australian industry for a long time and I just needed a change of scene and a change of vibe and, um, God, I, I got that in spades. You know, the, the Spanish know how to put on a music festival. Well, we'll come to that in a moment. Know how to engage in a music festival. Um, yeah, some of the safety standards here in Spain are poor. Yeah, I was going to say a bit say. debatable maybe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I've lived in Madrid for, for two years now and in May they have a thunderstorm every afternoon at 6 o'clock. just happens. It's like I've never been to Bali, but I understand that the monsoon, monsoon season, that's what happens. And, yeah, yet, you know, weather coverings, it's like they don't worry about putting a cover on a mixing desk or on, yeah, it was. I saw some pretty frightening stuff. But, yeah, and then... You know, there's interesting things. You know, the festival that I've done some work on at uh, Tuna in Denmark, you know, the the Danish audience just engages with the festival on such a – engages with the music on a really deep listening level that I, I don't think I've seen at any other festival anywhere in the world. Um, they are there for the music. They are dedicated. They are incredibly polite incredibly polite like you will not be touched shoved moved pushed amazing amazing on on that level um yeah 
other places in the world, you know, things are different. You know, the Germans are really well behaved. The British are not. Mm. Um, Can't confirm. Yeah. Respect, <laughs> respectfully, respectfully, respectfully. Um, but, you know, like one of my early, like I went to Glastonbury in 1998 and I said I would never go back unless it was in a helicopter to play on the main stage and I've never been back. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, and, and look, that was a long time ago now. But, yeah, look, the, the changes, I guess, some of them are technological, some of them are just, you know, as a festival director, you absolutely look at things like layouts and crowd management, you know, really boring stuff to most people. But, you know, when you attend another event as a as a punter and, and a non-responsible punter, it's really hard to not notice those things. Certainly um, Australia was lagging a long way behind in um, contactless payments and that kind of system and buying pre-buying beer tickets with your festival ticket and all that kind of stuff. I think we've caught up a little bit now. Um, but, yeah, look, it'll be really interesting, obviously, towards the ta- – are we allowed to say towards the tail of the pandemic? I'm going to say towards yeah. the tail of the pandemic with with festivals restarting in the UK as soon as the end of June, which seems frightening most days, but that seems to be what's happening. Um, it'll be really interesting to see – how the Northern Hemisphere does it six months before Australia returns to our summer and our summer music festival season 21-22 will be, I hope, will be really guided by some significant learnings that I think the Northern Hemisphere will have in the summer before we get there. Mm. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how things pan out. Like it's crazy how fast the UK is is moving um, and exciting to see that things are starting to kick back in Australia, which I think is is really positive. Who knows what will come when international travel starts, but that will be its own landscape, I'm sure, that we will um, need to navigate. In terms of what you would like to see in the future at festivals, is there anything, yeah, that you would like to see more of or areas that you would like to see people lean into or grow, um, whether that's from an industry perspective or even from a punta perspective? Yeah, I think that the number one, you know, let's just pretend the pandemic doesn't exist because we could just talk about that the whole time and that would be really dull. I think I think enough talking has been done about pandemic-related stuff. But I think the, the number one thing facing the festivals industry is our footprint and our environmental footprint. And there's some real significant challenges around that. Everyone is working hard at it. Everyone is getting better, but there is a long way to go. Um, And there are some things that are going to be really difficult for the industry to surmount and come to terms with the, the travel that the travel that is inherently required in a festival environment, artists getting there, mm. audiences getting there, it's it's not going to look right in 10 years' time. And so there's going to be some real challenges there, particularly in the Australian market with us being, you know, so far away from each other, so away, yep. so far away from the rest of the world. So I think that's, that's going to be really interesting. I think that in some ways festival programming – needs to challenge itself a little more 
than it is at the moment. And I, I don't think anyone, including myself, is immune from that. I think one of the interesting things that has developed out of the pandemic without talking about the pandemic is that as, as most countries and territories, you know, restart within their own domestic environment. So, you know, all the Australian events at the moment are with Australian artists. It's the same in the UK. It's the same within the US. There's a lot of artists playing the same show at the same festival, you know, and rinse and repeat. And at the moment, everybody's excited to get back to live events. And so they don't mind necessarily seeing, you know, well, they're playing here, they're playing there, they're playing whatever. But if you go back into the annals of festival history, there used to be a significantly larger amount of collaborations and creative event programming and creative combinations, you know, Mm -hmm. and I remember in the nineties going to the big day out and it was nothing to see X band get up with Y band for a couple of songs. And I don't really feel like we see enough of that stuff at the moment anymore. Um, So, yeah, I think that is a real challenge from a a festival uh, perspective. I think just, you know, constantly trying to improve and you know we can all book music we can all book the same artists or different artists but i think the peripheral stuff around your festival has become as important as the product on the stage yeah agree i think that's largely i I think that's largely a good thing i think that people don't want crappy toilets and they want a shower and they want to drink better beer and they don't want to drink out of plastic cups and you know there's so many things there that are that are really vital to the future and the future of your event um but yeah god it's a lot of work Mm. do you want do you want me to talk about spreadsheets again because i can (laughs) i've got spreadsheets for days on that stuff Uh, i mean i'm quite a lover Um, of spreadsheets but i i really agree with you in terms of more prominence coming to those elements that are beyond the stage because, you know, I think inherently that's what's amazing about festivals is it's an experience as well. It's not just, you know, watching somebody, you know, a gig. It's 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 beyond that. So I think, yeah, the, the interest and um, investment increasing into those areas I think can only um, benefit festivals but also – benefit the 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 everyday people the punters everyone who's going because you are then encouraged to experience something different beyond just you know connecting with the music or with the artists so I think um it's definitely been a hot topic uh with performers and artists and and different individuals who've come on the podcast and um I'm sure that that theme will will not kind of disappear anywhere for sure um, because, yeah, things maybe will change in a bit of a positive slant off the back of COVID um, and give people a bit more of a different focus. I think that one of the things that we do well at Port Ferry is people learn at the festival. They mm. can go and... You know, we have a, a, a instrument makers um, exhibition that is one of the most popular and attended parts of the festival outside of kind of going and watching the artists. And I think that, you know, there is scope to learn so much about cultures and 
history and, you know, it's more than just listening to a three-minute pop song, which is great, and I love a three-minute pop song. Um, probably don't need to hear any more Blackpink in my world at the moment, thanks to my nine-year-old daughter. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that that's the stuff that's, you know, really valuable when, I, when I've been to Canada and learned about their First Nations peoples and, and you know, clearly in Australia we f- feel that we are poor at some of those areas and no doubt, no doubt that has been the case. But, you know, the rest of the world is still learning as we are. And it's just a wonderful, a wonderful thing to be able to go to another country and go to a music festival and learn about the history of the First Nations of Canada, which is not something I was particularly aware of. Or, yeah, learn about the culture and the history of these places that these events exist in. So, yeah, it's more than three chords in the truth. Mm. You touched on um, like collaborations and maybe not seeing, you know, bands popping up on stages with other acts and things like that. Is there anybody that you've never booked that you would like to book or is there a amazing collaboration in your mind that maybe you'd like to call out? Um. Look, you know, the, the answer to the artist that you want to book that you haven't booked yet, that's that's like my list. That's, <laughs> you know, like, I can't tell you that. I have to kill you. Um, the, the collaboration thing is, is, is really interesting. You can, as a, a festival director or event creator, you can try and generate those things yourself. But at the end of the day, you need, the artists, the team of artists, it can't be just one person driving that. Um, in 2019, I was working on the Tuna Festival in Denmark and John Prine, rest in peace, was um, was booked to play the festival and and cancelled 10 days out from the festival. And the, the festival director, my dear friend Maria, called me uh, 10 days out and said, Justin, John Prine has cancelled. What are we going to do? And I said, well, you know, thinking on my feet at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday evening, why don't we reach out to the performers that are playing at the festival and see if they'd all like to get up and play a John Prine song and we'll do a John Prine tribute. Great, Justin, you can do that. <laughs> oh, talk about digging a hole for yourself. <laughs> and um, But it was just the most wonderful thing and – Every, you know, everybody was – everybody said yes, first off. So, you know, I kind of went through the festival list of 80 artists and picked the 20 that I thought would work well and everybody said yes and then everybody wanted to do a song with their mate or the person they hadn't met yet or, God, can you introduce me to this person? And it was just the most amazing collaborative event, um, you know, and putting – you know, we did – 20 artists doing 20 songs, including a couple of all-in collaborations at the end. And it sounds really easy. It wasn't really easy. (laughs) But to walk through the crowd, not that I did much, but my wife was there and she spent most of the show taking photos of people in the crowd crying. Um, You know, that is the kind of stuff that is pretty special about what we do. And, you know, 
after the show, you know, Maria, Maria, the festival director, Justin, you did an amazing job. It's like, oh, did I? Or did all of these artists do an amazing job? And clearly I'm responsible for one little bit of it. But, yeah, you can't create that kind of magic. So that's what I want to see. More. That's what I, that's what more I want to see more of. Where there's just a, yeah, and just, yeah, a seed of an event, a seed of an idea that then blooms. And I realise that I'm using my hands and nobody can see my hands. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like one of your roles in my opinion anyway, one of the roles of a festival director, be it at a blues festival, a roots festival, a rock and roll festival, is just plant that seed, mm. you know, plant that seed and see what happens. And it's not always going to work. Um, and sometimes they're not, you know, let's be honest, sometimes the disasters are some of the most memorable bits as well, right? Nobody watches the Formula One cars to watch them go fast. We watch them <laughs> because we want them to crash. Um you know, and, and Lord knows there's enough um, there's enough musical experiences we've had in our lives where we're just, you know, sitting on the edge of our seat wondering if the artist will get to the end. That is very true. Yeah, I guess that's it. It's that they are this platform for like life-changing experiences for people. Yeah, you you may think obviously you played a little part in that collaboration, but you probably won't ever realise how many people you did touch through your participation and, you know, you did plant that seed. So, yeah, kudos kudos to you for, um, yeah, championing something like that to come out and, you know, getting so many great artists together um, to pay tribute. What have been some of your biggest lessons along the way or how have they translated potentially into key pieces of advice for anybody else who might be going into a similar role? Keep calm. Keep calm. Breathe deeply. Um, yeah, all of those things that I'm sure anybody on your wonderful podcast has answered surely answers this question pretty much the same way. Like just breathe deep. It's stressful. It's hard. Um, I'm sure I will also not be the first person to say that you need to love this mm. because it, if you do not love it, you should not do it. Um, and I don't say that to put anybody off, but you must have an immense amount of love for this to do some of the things that I'm just going to say will be asked of you. I'm going to say will be required of you at times. Um, and yeah, you must have a really strong ability to just embrace whatever today's challenge is, whatever the next hour's challenge is. You know, if that involves grabbing a broom and mopping something up or cleaning a toilet or shaking hands with the mayor or the premier or the prime minister or royalty, as happened to me in Denmark, which was pretty interesting. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an incredible existence and I'm so grateful for it. But it is a lot. It is hard work. It is unusual work. There are maybe there are more rules now than there used to be, but there's no guidebook as to how to do it. So you're flying blind and making stuff up all the time while pretending you know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, there's so much bullshit, like, <laughs> but in a good way, like in a good way. Don't get yeah. me wrong, like, you know, 
as I've kind of done this for 20, 25 years or whatever, like a lot, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, it must be really different now and, you know, you, you're doing so much better and things much must be better. And, yeah, look, they are. They are. Things are good. I'm, I'm really happy um, with where I'm at. A lot of things do not change. Toilets are a problem if there are 10 people there, 100 people there, or 1,000 people there. I don't want to talk about toilets, but it's a reality. Um, you know, the other thing, like, there's just another zero on the end of some of these numbers. Like, they're not – that that part doesn't change very much. Um, I guess the level of professionalism as you move along inherently is greater. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're running a 100-person event, there's an, a level of professionalism that's required there and then, you know, a 1,000-person, 10,000-person, you know, it goes up. Um, but a lot of the things remain the same. Um, I promise not to harp on about spreadsheets, but my spreadsheets pretty much look the same as they have done for the last 10 years. Like I've developed an incredible system with macros and it's really nerdy and boring (laughs) for some people. Other people like yourself probably really love it. Um, But a lot of that stuff, yeah, doesn't change, I guess. Um, Yeah, so I think the other thing is, and this has been a real development over the last, probably more over the last 10 years than the 10 years before that. But, you know, behaving respectfully in our industry is is massively important and something I, I like to think I always do. I'm sure I don't always get it right. It's something I always definitely endeavour to do. You know, the first 10 years of my career was there were a lot more cowboys and cowgirls in our industry, I guess, than, than there are now. Um, and that's a good thing. Like, you know, safety and respect and mental health being considered and respect for artists and respect for safety and, and those kind of things have, have come along in in massive um massive ways and 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 should continue to do so Mm. i know that you um for a long time during your career you were a contractor versus now obviously being in your kind of full-time gig for for port ferry um do you have any kind of yeah learnings from from that for people um who yeah, whether because I'm sure you know contracting has its benefits, it also has its challenges. Um, are there any kind of tips or yeah pieces of advice from being having been on both sides? Because sometimes people haven't. Sure. Yeah. So it's really weird having a job. <laughs> I'm going to say I have a job. Um, uh, it, it was it was a real shift. Um, so, you know, my life as a, a, an arts industry, music industry contractor um, was awesome. I could do what I wanted when I wanted all those kind of things and then reality kicks in and you can't. You still, you know, you must work and you have deadlines and whether or not they're self-generated or imposed by by a, um, an employer or an event or a council or whatever, um, you know, intrinsically they – they do, you know, you're still working. The role hasn't changed, I guess. You know, the, the role contracting to a Chukawina Blues while doing 10 other things 
The only difference now is that I'm just doing Port Ferry and that has been a, a really – I've enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I'm definitely kind of a short attention span person or I have a, I can be. So I guess for the previous 25 years of my life, I thought that doing five things at once was good for me and, and worked well for me. And I think, I think largely it did until I, until I took on too much and then, you know, had to reshape it. But I think the challenge as a contractor or somebody who's generating their own business and their own income is trying to maintain that work-life balance and, mm. you know, do you answer a call on Christmas Day if it's going to pay the rent for the next two weeks is a tough question. I always said yes to that. I probably shouldn't have <laughs> all the time. But I think that, you know, that was certainly the thing that I found most challenging about my, yeah, my career as a contractor, I guess, was the, the constant, <laughs> even if you, even if you had plenty of work, it was hard to not say yes to more. It's, you know, because you've got to make hay while the sun shines and that can be really challenging, really, really challenging for sure. Um, You know, variety, I guess when you're starting out, I I would suggest that, you know, trying a few different areas of things is is a good way to learn you know, the 360-degree nature of our industry, you know. Um, and I've certainly been really fortunate to do so many different things that I do recorded and produce records and I've done really crappy artwork. And, God, I was reminded last week I actually put posters on walls when I was 18 <laughs> for a job for about six months. You've and done it all. <laughs> I tell you, when I see those people, I well, yeah, better or worse, but, my God, I hated that. <laughs> I hated putting posters up. And I see people do it now and I'll clearly, you know, let's be honest, I pay people to do it now. Um, thank you, Jono, and all, all my crew in Melbourne that do that f- for me and have done for many years. But, yeah, I think it's – I think learning about every part of the industry so you can find the bit that suits you best and then focus on that is really good. And I tell you, it took me 25 years to get to the point where – I guess I probably realised that I wanted to be a buyer, not a seller, mm-hmm. um, and that that set sat better with me, better with my personality, um, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was great to try and sell for 20 years to work out that actually I'm better off on this side of the fence um, for me. So, yeah, that's been really good. Um yeah, don't forget about your family. Mm. Don't forget about your friends. They're, they're pretty important and you'll need them. We all need them. Um, you know, relocating around the world and then obviously being pretty detached through the pandemic. Um, you know, the plan initially when we relocated here was that I would um, be back in Australia three to four times a year and I have been back zero times. No, actually I did get back once before the pandemic. So... Um, but yeah, those, those friends and family things, they're really important to, to keep up. Uh, there will be times where you'll miss stuff. Mm. Um, and that will be a challenge and you need to be okay with that. You need to compensate for that as best you can. Um, you know, I hit the road for 
14 weeks when my daughter was three months old. Um, and that was, you know, I'm glad I don't look back on that period with regret. Um, but it was really challenging. Mm. It was really challenging. Um, but then, you know, you, you should also use the, the plus sides of, of those things that fortunately I still have now where I take my daughter to school and I pick her up and, you know, I was the, the home-based parent and that was great. Like, you know, there were lots of things where I used the flexibility that my various roles offered to my to my advantage, mm. I guess. And I think to that point, you know, is there are so many diverse roles that you could do in festivals. So I think it's a great piece of advice encouraging people to – yeah, whether it's volunteer or try your hand at a few different things because you might surprise yourself and you don't necessarily have to be good at everything. And I think it's also a really great environment allowing people the ability to fail. <laughs> like every challenge, uh, you know, I love to say like every challenge, it offers you an insight or growth to, you know, how you want to change for the future or how you might do something differently. And it, it is to your point, like every event, there's always something that happens, but with each of those moments, there's an opportunity for you to grow, an opportunity for you to learn, an opportunity for even for you to think differently. Like maybe somebody else messes up and you might be able to see things from a different light and, you know, step in and help find the piece of that jigsaw to this puzzle that's maybe going a bit hectically wrong. But I think, yeah, it is a kind of a wild space of, relentless creativity so if you feel like you've got some curiosity in you it's an amazing space to just go speak to someone go ask them if you can help them out see what you can throw your hand to and you never know where it might lead yeah completely right and I think that for me it's been a matter of well I don't know if I'm going to like it until I do Mm. it so get your hands dirty get in there and do it And, and not only that but as Wherever you end up, you'll then have respect for that role. So, you know, if if you think you're going to be a publicist, great. Go and have a go at it. And if you don't like it, I promise you, you will then have respect for publicists you deal with in the future. Um, I don't know why I chose publicists. Maybe because I have a lot of respect for publicists <laughs> because it's not, not, not my gig, not my gig. But, um, uh, you know, and that's – that can be the same whether or not you're in production or if you want to start a whole bunch of food trucks and take them to festivals or you you like the idea of construction or, you know, there's so many different facets that, um, you know, I still don't know anything about putting up a big marquee. And you know what? That's one thing I'm probably okay to not try, <laughs> I reckon. I'm pretty good at Lego, but people then don't go and stand under my Lego or on my Lego. So you found your yeah, calling. I think, I think I'll stay out of yeah. construction. Uh, well, well <laughs> let's hope so. Let's hope so. It seems like you have. I reckon you found it. You probably don't need to yeah. explore the marquees. Um, one kind of maybe final question I do have is, is there anywhere you go to take inspiration from, whether that is other events, other people? Um, yeah, where do, you, where do you look for inspiration everywhere (laughs) um this actually popped up yesterday in my mind that i think that as an event creator you do take 
I do take a lot of inspiration from the audience. Mm. And it was interesting, you know, obviously we postponed our major festival at Port Ferry in, in March and we ran a series of, you know, really small concerts, to be frank, like, you know, 250 people in a theatre each day as opposed to 10,000 people on an oval. Like it's a big, that's a different event. But, you know, I was so anxious about it because when I joined the organisation, we we looked at all kinds of different models and what you would do and all that kind of stuff. And it became really clear to me that the Port Ferry Folk Festival was pretty good at putting on the Port Ferry Folk Festival and wasn't necessarily going to be great at much else. And that's okay. Like, you know, if you've got, you've been doing this for 45 years and that's what you do. So, you know, I had no real idea if our audience, however small due to the capacity or whatever, was going to engage with a completely different style and thought and vibe of programming. But they did. Um, Tickets sold out in a couple of hours. And the feedback from the audience was awesome. I think that, um, yeah, audiences, wherever you are and wherever you're at, I always look around to see how the audience is engaging with whatever it is. And that can be installation art down at Matadero here in Madrid where I go every couple of weeks or at the Prado or at the restaurant down the road. Like I think being watching, yeah, that's how you learn, I, I find. Like, yeah, and as for, you know, where do I go for inspiration? Well, I probably just gave you a fair bit. One of the things that, um, you know, here in Madrid during the pandemic, that after the lockdowns, the galleries have remained open and, God, I have been to a lot of art galleries. Madrid has more art galleries per capita than anywhere in the world. Oh, wow. So it's been a pretty good place for that stuff. Um you know, in the absence of live music, mm. it, it, it really has been a, a saviour. Um, you know, I, I create monthly listening playlists to, to catch up on and, and I go and do that while looking at incredible works of art. Yeah, great. So that's been pretty amazing. Um, yeah, otherwise I think, you know, yeah, certainly other events in regular times, you know, I'm a, I'm a regular event goer. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a sit at home. I do think as well that looking across, there shouldn't be competitors in our industry. And I think one of the wonderful things I feel personally that's come out of, of the pandemic is that, you know, like artist exclusivities shouldn't exist this year. So stop it. Mm. Like if, if, Bob Dylan wants to play every festival known to man in 2021, then he should be allowed to go and do that. And I think, I hope that there's some resetting of those kind of, kind of bullshit rules that we impose that aren't necessarily as relevant. I think now as we thought they were, Um, there are other ways to do business collaboratively that have come out of, of this. And I think, that is inspiring. I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but, you know, the, the way uh, and, you know, the various parts of the industry have come together from the, you know, the Australian Managers Group to the Australian Festivals Association and I'm part of a, a worldwide festivals association, you know, and, of course, they're all bloody Facebook groups. But, um, 
or, or yet another bloody Zoom, as I like to say. Um, but but the the collaborative nature of the discussions and the support of each other has been inspiring. Um, and God, let's let's hold on to that for as long as we can before we go back to bullshit twenty five kilometer radius crap because that's boring. Mm. And it doesn't, I don't think it works anyway. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, collaboration, I think only benefits everyone in, in any industry and in any form. It's like, it's knowledge sharing, it's inspiration sharing, it's supporting each other Mm. to, yeah, make whatever landscape you might be working in better because we've all known from the past year that actually being isolated on your own isn't that fun? So let's all do things together more and yeah, make a bloody old good time that hopefully works more effectively, more efficiently. Um, and yeah, gives the individuals who get to experience those events an even better experience than they could have possibly had before. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. (laughs) Jolly good. <laughs> Let's have a jolly good time <laughs> together. Um, is there anything else, any other key topics, final words or things, questions that you would like to put out whilst you've got the mic? I just can't wait to come back, everyone. Come back. Come back. I hope that, um, you know, we, we had one of the, the second harshest lockdowns in the world, if you believe the press here and my nine-year-old daughter did not leave our apartment for the bit for 12 weeks she did not leave an 80 square meter apartment no fresh air and it's been a it's been an eye-opener and i hope that um you know when you're back at your next 10,000 15,000 20,000 person festival that you respect what we lost and what we missed and you know yeah behave like good human beings and I can't wait to see you all there behaving like good human beings at whatever the next event may be. Um, yeah, you know, I hope we've, I think we've all had some time to reevaluate what's important. I certainly hope that live music and, and festivals is important to whoever's listening to this as it is to me. Um, yeah. Don't, don't blag a free ticket at the moment either, mm. please. Like, don't ask. Don't ask for a free ticket. Buy your ticket, please. I think there's a lot of gratitude coming in and a lot more respect for the industry and hunger and eagerness to pay for events uh, because people are, I know obviously you might not necessarily be having as many events sort of starting um, over in Madrid, but I think from an Australian perspective, the hunger is definitely there and hopefully that will continue. And like you say, people will maybe place a bit more importance and value in having something that, yeah, was taken away for quite some time along with other things that have been taken away, but it's probably made a few people wake up to, um, yeah, how important it is to be able to even have events where you come together, whether that is large or small. And I hope that, you know, certainly I saw it in Australia and I think this is one of the best things that Australia did. Obviously came out of the pandemic sooner than other parts of the world, but there was a reset of pricing based on capacity. Mm. It, it just had to be. And I really hope that as things quote unquote return to normal, that we 
don't lose that value on music. If you were happy to pay $100 for a ticket that might have used to have been 50 then the reality is, is that the price of that ticket should be somewhere in between. And I do hope that as an industry we stick tough to that and that we do pay artists more fairly and that, you know, there are there are long-lasting positive consequences from what we've been through. Um, and that's certainly something that I've seen more of in Australia than I have anywhere else in the world, um, you know, was that kind of price resetting. Um, yeah, which doesn't take anything away from any free events or low-cost events or anything like that at all. But, um, yeah, I do hope that, that the value – the financial valuations of our audiences of the things that they have gotten to experience at kind of ridiculous price points previously. I think, yeah, I hope that that does continue to be addressed. Well, fingers crossed. Everyone's heard the message. Get your tickets in. Make sure you're spending your dollars. Go to those gigs. Go to those festivals. And, yeah, I guess support the scene because there hasn't been a scene for a while and there still isn't scenes in other places so hopefully as yeah the world unlocks people can explore and experience festivals in all different places for sure thank you so much for coming on and having a chat and thanks so much Vicky. Yeah, talking all about your Wonderful. experiences over the years in all different shapes and forms uh, i think there's lots of wise words of advice and definitely some hot tips for embedding and getting deep into excel if people aren't and want to go into um a director's role i think there's definitely a nudge to learn some excel tips how romantic how romantic the uh the artistic life of an excel nerd <laughs> well i reckon that could be a wrap wonderful thanks for tuning into creative connectors hopefully you enjoyed the chat if so, please subscribe, share with friends, support the community and tune into the next one.